We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike and Darius. And today we're going to talk adjustments for Game 5. We've got the biggest game of the season coming up. And I'd like to operate, at least at first, under the assumption that Anthony Davis is not going to play. And so with that said, Mike, the Lakers ended that game, game four, on a bit of a run. They weren't able to close things out, but they were successful with Mark and Wes and Caruso and Dennis as the lineup to close the game. In the absence of AD, I advocate for Mark starting in simply because he has he helps space the floor and I think we need to put LeBron at the center of the frame as a scorer in particular he hasn't had a 30 point plus game since March hopefully KCP will be back but I think that that lineup with Braun at the four in particular with three guards around him I I'd like to see Dennis KCP Wes LeBron and Mark as the starters what are your thoughts on because we've now reached a point of the series where you got to win this game and obviously we got two cracks at it but there's not much runway left right so what's your approach to an Anthony Davis-less starting lineup to start out well it does start with LeBron but I think your point is a good one about LeBron as the centerpiece requires some spacing if possible and that's not to say that he can't just go straight at DeAndre Aiden which he could maybe try to get him in early foul trouble if LeBron's just immediately cranked up to fifth gear 
which we've seen in pockets, but we haven't seen for sort of a full game that the Lakers have needed because they wouldn't have needed that if AD stayed healthy. Like the Lakers had kind of figured out the formula against Phoenix uh, with a healthy AD. He wasn't healthy in the first half. And then, of course, he uh, hurt the groin. And we still await an update um, at the time of recording as to whether or not he'll be back and all that kind of stuff. So the one thing about starting the game, Pete, I, I hear that. Uh, I don't know if Frank Vogel is going to go to it. We certainly He certainly could, though, because we have seen him be willing to change his starting lineup frequently in the last year's postseason. Um, he hasn't done it yet, th- yet this year. And, of course, there's only been a couple of games. And as we just mentioned, he kind of figured out the formula. But if it is Mark or even in a different kind of conception, Markeith Morris, uh, those would be two guys that can play the five and pull Aiton out. And that would mean, uh, obviously, less Drummond at least lined up with Aiton. The issue is that Aiton's played in 40 minutes uh, a night, and he's played really well. So how, how they figure that out, I think they'll they'll find more minutes to do that because they'll watch the tape and they'll see that those those were the times that worked when Aiton actually has to come out all the way uh, and defend Gasol, which he didn't always have to do when AD was on the floor because then they could have him go and, and uh, play him at times. So that's all of the matchup stuff, I think, that the, coaches, the coaching staff is working on. But... I did, a, I did a little bit of a, a LeBron uh, deep dive into his last season in Cleveland in the postseason. And because I think that that's they're going to need one of those games, like one of those LeBron games that he has mm-hmm. in his, throughout his career, won a series. Right. So so this would be Indiana was round one. Right. Uh, that that final year. And of, uh, of course, they eventually get to the Warrior or to the finals and got swept. Uh, but. And so he wasn't able to call upon it against that all-time team. But in the first round, he had 46, 12, and 5 in game two against Indy. He had 45, 8, and 7 in game seven. Second round, they sweep Toronto. Game two, 43, 14, and 8. Uh, game four, 29, 11, and 8. Then you get to the Bo- the Boston series in the conference finals. Game two at Boston, 42, 12 assists, 10 rebounds. Game And he had a bunch of, in this series. Game six, uh, Let's see, 46 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. Game 7, 35, 15, and 9. Um, and then, of course, the infamous Game 1 of the finals, right? The 51, 8, and 8, the J.R. Smith game. And from that point on, right, he like he still tried to put the pedal down, but that was kind of it. Like, he knew that that series was over. And so, at this point of two years, a couple of years later, th- three years later, and with where his health is at, with the ankle, right, what, what does he have? that he can go to. Cause we've, again, we've seen that dominance come out uh, in, in pockets and it wasn't necessarily their last game um, for longer than a couple of minutes stretches, but his, you know, his, the biggest game that he's had in a while, guys, you have to go back to right before he got hurt. And, you know, he was only playing like 30 minutes a game, but he had, you know, he had 25, 12 and 12, like against Minnesota. It's not like he's had to really pull out that, Boom, here's the LeBron, mm-hmm. like the closeout Denver game last year, right? Mm-hmm. In, the, so, Pete, that's what, in Darius, that's what I'm wondering. Like, where is that there? And I think it's there, but is it game five that he breaks that out? And, and is this the time that the Lakers need it? And I think maybe so. The LeBron game. <laughs> you rattled off those stats, Mike, as I, I was just shaking my head the entire time. I know this isn't a LeBron tribute pod, Right. But just (laughs) that dude's so good. I'm torn, Pete, in terms of your original hypothesis. The lineup that you said was clearly the best group against the Suns in game four. Will they be the best group against the Suns in game five? That's 
a question I'm not sure if Vogel could answer in the affirmative. I think it's fair to speculate that. How rotations go out of that is something that is also a question that Vogel would need to answer. If I can jump in just real quick, I, I think it's we should bring up what Vogel actually did to start the second half in the absence of AD rather than, I think the Lakers should write, what he did was he started Kuz and Kuz struggled on both ends of the floor and tried to get him into some ball screen action, which mostly didn't work, had a couple of uh, of plays where he got some buckets out of that in the second half, but he went away from Kuz fairly early. So I just wanted to throw that in there that what, what Vogel actually did on the spot on the fly was put Kuz in, keep drumming at the five and and go that route. But we also went down quite a bit. Just a quick note on Kuz there guys. And and I said this briefly on the the last pod that we did, but Kuz didn't, Kuz wasn't expecting that he was going to start the second half. They came out there to shoot, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, AD's not coming out. Kuz, you go start. So there right. wasn't even that sort of you sit down at halftime and like, all right, hey, like here's what Phoenix is doing right now with the starting lineup. Here's where you need to go. Here are the types of things. And that – it does make a difference. It's on players to adapt to that. And so I'm not excusing, you know, Kuz. There were a couple of bad fouls that he made. There were a couple of times where he wasn't in the right place. But that kind of thing does make a big difference. And we sometimes are – when we if you just are watching the film – and you're not kind of bringing in that context of like Phoenix took full advantage of that. And guess who Chris Paul is the mm-hmm. best person to have on the court there. Cause he's right. going to like, he's good. So that, I just wanted to point that out. It, it sounds like an excuse for coups, but that is something that needs to be acknowledged. Let me advocate and go in another direction. The Lakers are very likely to start Kyle Kuzma and, and Andre Drummond in game five. Mm-hmm. And I can argue in the affirmative that that's the right decision. The reason why I would argue or that I could argue for that is that Drummond played pretty poorly in game four. It was, to me, a classic like, oh, this is the low end of Andre Drummond. We've seen the Mm -hmm. end of him Mm -hmm. in this series. And I thought game four sort of typified was sort of like, oh, and that's why they went to Mark for so many more minutes. That's right. If you start Kuz, I think it also changes up the matchups. A little bit. It takes LeBron off of Bridges and probably puts him on the Crowder, which I think is the better defensive matchup for LeBron. And it puts Crowder onto LeBron, which is trickier, but I actually like that more for the Lakers than I do Bridges within the context of the way that the Lakers would be playing with LeBron more as a point power forward rather than playing on the wing with Dennis sort of being more of a ball handler. But can we have enough offense if we've got Drummond on the floor? Do we have the spacing necessary if a Drummond coups? Just the repeat of how we started that third. I think that's going to depend on what version of Drummond you get, right? And Really? Yes, because Drummond's activity can make a difference if he's being involved in almost every ball screen action. Mm -hmm. Because... Drummond is the guy that is going to get downhill and is going to position Aiton in in a way where he has to viably defend two. Here's the thing is that most ball screen actions. So in my rewatch, most ball screen actions with Drummond have been with Dennis. And when it's been LeBron running screen and roll with Drummond and Aiton is involved in the action, AD is spacing all five Suns players are touching the paint defensively. And 
it's, I think it's a combination of LeBron's aggressiveness and Drummond playing with the requisite amount of energy and force. And I thought Drummond's effort in game four was so subpar that it's tricky to say that the Lakers cannot generate offense with him on the court because the floor will be better spaced with, in theory, Kuz out there instead of AD. Like, that's just in theory. Just a theory, but first half, a couple of guys on the Lakers, they had been used to AD, 34 and 11 AD, right? Same numbers, game two and game three. Aggressive AD, AD that was going to physically dominate Phoenix, that was going to make them react. And so there's there's part of a psyche for a guy like Drummond that comes out and he was just, you know, he's kind of looking for offensive rebounds. You know, he's like, he's he's not, he wasn't really locked into the type of, uh, of what they would have needed without that aggressive AD where AD was basically just a space guy. Like AD was basically Markeith Morris in the first half. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is, again, it's a, it's a bit of a mindset thing. Um, and I also think that a lot of what happened with, with Drummond has to do with Dennis, which you alluded to Darius and, you know, maybe same thing with Dennis. Like you need Dennis to be good and attacking and aggressive. And he was almost looking for AD and LeBron to take care of it too. So like, I see, I see you chomping at the bit a little bit there, Pete. Um, that that <laughs> was one thing that stood out that stood out to me in that first half, especially Dennis for sure. On on the rewatch, Dennis's game on both ends of the floor was was very poor. With respect to Drummond, I think part of it that point about the aggressive AD that you make, Mike, is important because AD is kind of the guy that knocks the walls down. Like he's so physically dominant inside that if. It, that is what allows Drummond all these opportunities to clean it up, right? Like if you think of it, like AD, even if he misses the shot or if he's going to the boards forcefully himself, he's going to occupy two. If he does that, that frees up Drummond, that that collapses the defense in a way that Drummond just cleans it up. So in the absence of that, Drummond's going to look a lot worse. I would say real quick, Darius, about the – the Aiton Drummond matchup is a lot of times they've been putting Aiton on AD and with Mark at the five and with LeBron at the four, that's going to pull Aiton away from the basket no matter what. So I think that, and that can free up driving lanes for LeBron and Dennis. So I totally agree. No one's going to argue against Mark's utility, especially me, the guy who has been like, I, we've all been for beating sure. that drum, right? And so I don't want to argue against Mark at all. And I'd be fine, even happy to start Mark and play LeBron at power forward. And then whether you play three guards there, right? Or if you play Kuz there, it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. The matchups are basically going to be the same. Aiton is on the center. In this case, it's Mark. Crowder is on LeBron, right? Most likely. Although in theory, they could still put Bridges on LeBron and put Crowder on Kuz. But if you go smaller, that's less likely, I think. In any event, Dennis is the guy who I think needs unlocking even more so than LeBron, right? And so I think Mm -hmm. advocating for Mark to start is probably more so for Dennis's peace of mind and and to get him going more than it is to get LeBron going. I think LeBron getting going with only one big on the floor is I think that's going to work regardless. Some of LeBron's sure. best 
LeBron was great last year with with only one big on the floor and it was and he was less successful when there were two bigs on the floor that plays out in the data right LeBron's great regardless but it goes up those lineups to start the second quarter last season when it was Dwight at center and and LeBron while AD sat those lineups ate right and LeBron was great at that and so I think LeBron will navigate a less crowded paint because there's only one in theory guy there and the other the other bigger defender is going to be defending him right and and so it's just like if I get by you I'm only navigating one and that guy is Aiton and he's been difficult to navigate this series and so all credit to Phoenix all credit to Aiton but I'm fine with LeBron navigating a defense with only one big on the floor offensively to to sort of gum up the paint for him, even if it's Drummond lurking in the dunker spot. It's not related to this point, but I had one one thing I wanted to mention that's a huge adjustment for the Lakers. It's not playing at 1230. <laughs> Boy, do they suck at 1230. in those games. I mean, the other team has to play at 1232, so it's not like a... Just the Lakers. The, uh, Sundays, the, the we ABC game, stuck, I thought great. this too... We stink in those games every single time. Yeah, those, and both news. games that we've lost in this series. It, oh, do we have no more? No well, more. Well, the next the next two games are both you know Tuesday Thursday night games. So just by nature. Um, so I haven't looked. I'll I'll look in a second for. Uh, oh, you know potential. game seven's at twelve thirty on. Well, oh, probably yeah. Is it is it on probably on Sunday? Uh, actually, no, it's not. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. Oh. So mm-hmm. that might be like the five p.m. then uh, potential right. game on on Saturday. Let me look at that in a second. Can I first ask this though? Darius, can I get a displeasure scale uh, point for you? Like, you, I don't know if you want to pick your thoughts the moment that you saw AD go down, your thoughts the, the moment that, you know, AD didn't come out to start the third quarter. Uh, maybe there was a different peak play, but I, I mean, I currently have five things on the DDS. And, oh, um, you know, you want to you offer me a specific one? The AD stuff was more, that wasn't even displeasure. That was like sadness and sort of, like, yeah, this like fear, right? It just like, sucks. Yeah, it just like, sucks. Okay. That just sucks. Right. There was a, you know, the play that got me upset. Like I was just walking on the street, and maybe I've got a brand new pair of white and and um, foreign blue and gold Air Max nineties. Mike, you might know what those look like. Yeah, um, fresh. Right. And I'm walking down the street and I see a puddle. Right. I see a puddle. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to step around this puddle. And when I step around the puddle, my dumbass trips and then slides on some grass that was also wet. And now I've got a big ass green streak. You get the green scuff. I got the green scuff. Right. All on my shoe. And Mm. that play was when Dennis was bringing the ball up the left side of the court against the ball pressure and decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to just go by this dude right now. And instead of going by him, he dribbled the damn ball right off his foot. He had the orange scuff on his foot, on his shoe. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Kicked it right to the Suns. Suns come down. They hit a three. And I think they went up 43-40 at that point, Pete. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording that 
the next play down, I think Ben hit that crazy three where he was like a little bit off to the side and turned a little bit and then shot a sidestep three Mm -hmm. to tie it back up at 443. But the Lakers in that first half played so poorly and LeBron had several just like uncharacteristic. Just on outlet passes. Yeah, it's not like, you know, the... Phoenix made a great defensive play on a skip pass. It's like getting the ball past half court, you know, and these dudes were kicking the ball and spraying the ball all over the court. Like they didn't really value possessions. And I thought Dennis's little turnover there, Mike, that was the one in the first half that I was just like, come on my rewatch, especially I was like, oh man, like three on the, the three on the DDS. This just got me quite upset. All right, let's let's kick to break. And when we come back, I've got a, an idea for uh, a way that we can unlock Dennis that does involve LeBron. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. 
Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So first play of the second quarter, we run a ball screen with Kuz and LeBron as the screener with Andre Drummond in the dunker spot. Ends with an alley-oop from Kuz to Drummond. LeBron as a screener has been very effective in this series. And when I think of the absence of AD, one of the things I think of from Vogel's perspective is, all right, what are our go-to actions against a defense that knows that LeBron is at the center of the frame and that we're going to be running as much as possible through him? And LeBron as a ball screener in particular, I think we need in the absence of AD, someone to do more big man things. And one of the reasons why LeBron is who he is, is that he can be who you need him to be. I'm curious your thoughts on LeBron in those side ball screens with Dennis. I think that there's something there where LeBron can roll, he can pop. He, there's a certain degree of explosivity that does not exist with any other pick and roll combination that we have, unless it's Trez on the floor, which obviously comes with some defensive concerns. So curious on on your thoughts on that, Darius, to to start out with. Yeah, look, I think it's a good point where you said Braun needs to do more big man things. It's, It's one of the reasons why I think that starting Drummond would still be fine because if you're looking for a guy to sort of like exert himself and and be dominant around the basket or draw more attention around the basket that could help free up Drummond, the only other guy on the team that can do that is LeBron, right? And, and so if you want to unlock Drummond, you probably play him next to LeBron still, right? Um, LeBron is a screener. Yes, more, please. Let him screen for Dennis. Let him screen for Kuz. Let him screen for AC. Put him at the elbow and horns actions. Everything should go through LeBron, whether he's bringing the ball up or he's posting or he's um, in the center of the frame as, as a screener. The little pet plays that the Lakers run with that high screen and roll action off of like handoff and then flip the screen, which is an action that we've talked about a fair amount. Yes, the Suns do not want to leave LeBron on that. The the hedge man will hedge, but it's like a soft hedge because he knows that LeBron can roll downhill and he can pop and he wants to deny LeBron the secondary catch. My question is, though, back to you is where are you at with sort of Dennis looking for Braun on that play versus looking for himself to score? And and what's your instinct as to why you want to go to that more? Is it to unlock Dennis or is it to get to Braun a little bit more? It's to get to Braun a little bit more. There are too many eyes on LeBron and, but it's both right in that LeBron, if you have too many eyes on Braun, Dennis is great at that whole lull you to sleep, drive from the wing toward the baseline and get to the rim. And he needs a little more of that. He needs a little more attention drawn off off of him so that he can launch those attacks. But Mike, if the defense there were 10 pair, there were 10 eyes on LeBron that that entire second half in large part because AD wasn't there. And so I think that 
whatever ways, and this extends even to Mark having the ball in his hands and LeBron, they ran some really great three-man action from the elbow at the end of the game that got us back into it, that the more that we can shift Phoenix's attention in a game where they're going to have as much of it as possible on LeBron, the better. Yeah, this so this goes back a little bit to that initial point that I made about if LeBron is engaged in that full LeBron mode, then it doesn't matter uh, what Phoenix is doing because some, something's going to work. Either he's going to be plowing to the rim, he's going to be spraying out, then Schroeder can do it on the weak side. But the alternate thought to that is just to empower Schroeder a little bit more earlier. And they haven't played together without AD uh, in, and with Drummond yet because like the last that stretch out of the all-star break it was jones at center you know and they played well and lebron was getting to a little bit of a rhythm but again his minutes were relatively limited um i i do remember the golden state game where the lakers smashed the warriors and it was lebron the the group that made all the difference though it was lebron and a bunch of the bench guys so it was like lebron kuzma harrell wes tht and shooter didn't do much in that game and so i'm kind of for me, with Schroeder, I, what I would love to see him do, and then LeBron is kind of a secondary, is just attack straight at Aiden. And if you get your shot blocked a couple times, fine. But like, get try to get the guy in foul trouble. They've got absolutely nothing behind him. And any time that he's been off the floor, the, the Suns have to play a totally different way. Their system is so predicated on having the guys that they have. On Aiden first kind of locking down the middle to an extent. It's really a pretty simple system, right? They got the Crowder and, and uh, Bridges as the, the three-point shooters and spacers who can attack closeouts if they have to. And they've got essentially two point guards with Booker also being able to be a pure two if he has to uh, that run screen roll and sort of uh, you know create an option out of that. And so the Lakers can take a direct shot at that if they can get to Aiton early and not just accept that the paint is his. And so that's, to me, what I would love to see, just, just super aggression – from the jump, uh, Darius, how do you think that could play out? I'm, I mean, it's it's tricky, Mike. Like, they're letting a lot of stuff go inside, I think, both ways a little bit. And Aiton is doing a good job of not fouling. And this was something I was going, going to ask Pete. And so I'll ask you, Pete, but then I'll answer myself as well. There are, like, little adjustments Dennis needs to make as well to help sort of unlock himself, right? Like. I definitely agree with all that we've said so far in finding ways where the Laker, where his teammates can help him, right? LeBron as a screener, Mark as the lone big on the floor, right? Like more spacing around Dennis. In my rewatch, I was a bit perturbed at Dennis's shot decision making. And so it's going to be a shot. Mm -hmm. We know that he should shoot here, but the types of shot that he's taking or when he decides, Oh, I'm going to turn down this shot in order to hunt another shot. Right. That sort of stuff was bugging me. (laughs) He over penetrates when he doesn't trust his jumper. His jumper is very, it's either there or it's not. And especially his mid range jumper. I see him penetrating a step too far close to eight and close to whoever the contest guy is on that. But he needs to be taking more of those 15 foot pull-ups where there's enough space between him and eight. And he's not doing that. And he's taking them from 12 and they're much harder shots. That's the key for me with Dennis is he needs to start taking more of the shots he was taking during the regular season. 
Mike, while I agree sort of like, hey, getting getting Aiden in foul trouble would be great, right? I like I'd love for Aiden to pick up two early fouls in well in the first quarter or or pick up fouls two and three with 10 minutes left in the half. That'd be great, right? For the Lakers, I think. Um, and Dennis could play a part in that, but Dennis is small. And if he's around the basket and Aiton has good good position, that's not likely to end in a foul for for Aiton. I think it's mostly going to have to be LeBron and Drummond who are sort of doing the physical work or even Mark drawing an offensive foul, right? Because (laughs) Drummond's tried to draw two or three against Aiton this series and none of them have gone well. And Drummond's basically exploded into a thousand pieces and it hasn't drawn anything. So I'm much more... on the front that Dennis needs to understand that it's his jumper that's going to unlock his drives and that he needs to be assertive. He, he's got a bit of a slow load on his jumper, and I think that the size that they're putting on him when it's not Chris Paul who is defending him is bothering him some. But I think he needs to then play with a bit more change of pace, come off screens faster, and then sort of slow into his jumper, right? Like threaten the speed. They're also going under screens on him, Pete. Like there's a bunch of things that Phoenix is doing that is disrupting Dennis, but he needs to find his way a little bit more. And some of that is just going to be individual adjustments, like the individual adjustment LeBron made when he said, F it, I'm going to the rim. Well, before he had, before Dennis got the health and safety protocol, Miss games in May. He had he found a nice little rhythm with that Chris Paul range pull up mid range jumper, and I haven't seen that as much. That's the one. That's what we're talking about. And that's mm-hmm. the one your Darius is just getting at, and it's the one where you can maybe get that over Aiton. But like he's he's getting possessions where he's having Aiton switch out to him, and, and Aiton just stood there and just like blocked his three instead of Dennis actually trying to blow by him. So I'm just saying if Aiton's going to be on the court for 41 minutes, I'm not counting on getting him in foul trouble. I'm just saying, just attack him. You can't just seed yeah. that territory to Aiton and be like, all right, fine. We'll just take jump shots. We'll just take corner threes. Like, go at the dude relentlessly. Nobody, I don't care who you are in the NBA as a big, if you've got guys flying at you, sure, you might block some of their shots early. You might discourage it. But the, I'm, I'm just saying as a mindset, the Lakers have to be more in attack mode and they can't just uh, rely on trying to get jump shots that are that are in the middle of where Phoenix wants you to take them. No, that's a great point, and that could uh, help unlock Drummond as well. They send extra attention to him on the offensive boards to to help keep him off. But even if you can get that attempt up, right, provided that it doesn't get blocked by Aiton, there's opportunities for Drummond on that end. I wanted to, you were talking about being aggressive and attacking along those lines. To me, this and all of the games from here on out are Alex Crusoe thirty plus minute games uh I, I think Wes is a big component too guys we're shooting 22 percent on open threes in this series that's part of my advocacy for not only mark starting but like a three small guard like the kcp dennis and wes as the guys rather than coos as as that player because we need to be able to hit some shots and i'm at a place with coos right now especially watching his form he's really tight he's not holding his fall through, he's pulling it back. It's all of the it's all of the signs of a player that's in their head and has anxiety about their jumper. So we need dudes out there that can make some shots. Kuz's mechanics are off mm-hmm. right now. I was watching his jump shots specifically 
last night at midnight, a little bit bleary eyed, but even bleary eyed, I was just like, oh, Kuz. He's really tight. Yeah. Kuz, you are even the one that he threw in, right, from the left wing after that LeBron play where everyone was clamoring for a violation, right? Because he looked like he was going to do a handoff and he shoveled it off and then he went and grabbed it again himself. Swung the ball to Kuz. His feet looked all messed up. He might have traveled because he didn't even dribble and he was like adjusting his stance before he went into his jump shot. And then he just sort of flung it up there and it went in, but he is quick going up and then slower when he's going into to his motion. Like it's not quite a hitch, but it's not in sync, but it it is noticeable that his form that he doesn't trust it right now and that Mm -hmm. he is thinking way too much when he's shooting these shots and the shooting though it's like like, oh you know what would be a great adjustment let's start making these making shots yes yeah of course Uh, and here's the the issue with Kuz I think that it's relatively obvious why he's pressing in game one he got two shots two attempts in game two he got four attempts and when so this has been a constant theme with Kuz when AD and LeBron's minutes get yanked up and they're both being more aggressive, which is always going to happen in the playoffs. Some of those, instead of taking you know the, the seven, eight, nine shots, Kuz is going to get three or four, and it hadn't been like that for a while because either LeBron or AD was out, or one of the other one you know was on a minutes restriction, whatever it was. So that's, to me, it's not that simple. There are other guys that have needed to play as well, um, but that's part of it. And so he was doing, he's gotten he's gotten much better at some of the other things. So the passing has been uh, better. Like he's had a couple of really nice alley-oop passes. Uh, he's had a couple of kickout passes. The rebounding, generally better. Uh, I know that the, the game three was the focus. Part of that was when he got three offensive rebounds on his own misses um, at the rim, but still. And then last game, the, you're right about the form and everything, but... What like what is the alternative for him? He's he he's having a hard time finding some sort of rhythm, and so I guess Pete's alternative maybe it makes sense is just okay. Then you just can't play him as much right yeah. now, and you go to West. You go to ideally KCP is back, and you go to Caruso more. Um, if that rhythm isn't there, it's game five, you know, and you can't just hope and, and that it's going to come there. That's what I'm saying is that and Kuz has provided value on the defensive end. I think he's been good on the defensive end. And I'm not saying that he should be getting DNPs or anything like that. But we're at the point of the series where like this happens. This happens with shooters. It, it, it We saw KCP with this earlier in the series. And I mean, heck, it still may be there. So maybe I'm giving KCP a benefit of the doubt that I'm not extending to Kuz. But we're just at a point of the series where if you are at that place as a shooter where much of the team is, then – but Kuz in particular, I, I feel like his open misses have been – his and KCP's open misses have been harmful. So I think it's really important to get as many shooters out there as possible. Even Ben McLemore with the bench, if in it's defensively – I know, I'm cringing too, D, uh, at that. There may be some moments, but even in the absence of, of Ben – we need guys that are able to hit shots. We need to prioritize that more. And even if it's not been that – putting spacing around LeBron and guys that will actually knock down these shots, at least a little more on driving kicks is really important. I've always, I've, I've been, this has been a opinion of mine, so I could be going harder into it than, and I'll rely on you guys to break me out of it if necessary. But I still think that the shooting stuff is overrated and like, yeah, guys have to hit open shots, but 
are we really saying that we think for sure that Kuz or West or KCP is going to hit more than Kuz next game? Like, I don't, I think that's relatively arbitrary. There, none of these guys are complete knocked and even Macklemore, right? Like I'm not even convinced Macklemore is going to come in, even though that's all he does. What I think again is the most important is to trust what has made them good, which is defense running out, playing hard, like get back to Laker basketball. Don't overcompensate uh, to, for, to, to the guys you think may be in the best shooting rhythm, like play the groups that are going to get you the easiest shots and then trust the law of averages that those things are going to open up. So my one pushback with Kuz is that he's passing up open shots. There was a play where Kaminsky was in the game yesterday and Kuz caught the ball at the top of the key and Kaminsky was still in the paint. And rule is normally if you're free throw line and below, if your defender's three free throw line and below, you let that thing fly and Kuz caught it and he didn't even look at the rim. And that hurts the offense in ways that you're absolutely right. Who knows? Kuz could go four for six from three tomorrow. But I do think that there's a certain willingness to take the shot that I'm seeing less and less you're, from him. You're not wrong. Him. You're not wrong. But Pete Caruso is passing up threes um, and KCP LeBron yelled at him in his face for passing mm-hmm. up threes. So I, I don't know if there's a, unless you want to throw out like, man, I mean, I was going to say THG, but he might be passing him up. The only guy that doesn't pass him up is Ben McLemore. And right. again, I'd rather have those guys on the court for their defense. I'm not saying Ku shouldn't play. I'm just saying to start the game. And if we're going to our go-to groups, LeBron at the four, Mark at the five, and three guys that are our best shooters. And and maybe Kuz is in that mix, right? He's going to get run. If he has a couple that fall, that's great. We could certainly use his size at the three. That'd be wonderful. But to start the game, I feel more comfortable at least with Wes and KCP. Wes has done okay from, from, three at least last couple of games that that's where I'm at and if he goes with Kuz that's fine but I think that maximizing spacing will be important and Phoenix doesn't have the wings really to take advantage of us going small with three guards yeah I just think that the benefits of the lineup that you just said with Mark and Wes and KCP and Dennis Alex right any of those sort of wing guys is that a they're going to be a good defensive group and in and they present the better or best spacing options for the Lakers offensively, right? Which helps Dennis and it helps LeBron. And so there's two types of construct lineups that the Lakers are going to need to be successful with, right? They are the LeBron-based lineups, right? And LeBron could play upwards of 40 minutes this next game. Um, but there are going to be a couple of times where LeBron has to rest and he has to sit and those lineups too are going to need to find a way. They're going to need to find a way to tread water, right? I'm, I'm very interested what those lineups look like and who Vogel goes to. Yeah. In those non LeBron minutes, what, what would you like to see that built around? Mark. Dennis, Alex, probably Kuz, and you know who I might play as the fifth guy? Who's that? Montrez Harrell. Mm. So I'm in an interesting place with Trez. Um, I was not too pleased with Mark Jackson <laughs> as an announcer last game. Um, he said a lot of stuff that was just 
<laughs> wrong in his analysis of things. But he talked about Trez some. And, you know, he he projected a lot of like emotions and feelings on to Trez that probably are not there. Right. And I'm not going to psychoanalyze Trez mm-hmm. anyway. But Pete, you've advocated for Trez a lot of this season because he's a good offensive player. And, and offense. And he threatens the rim. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you need to be able to do is puncture the defense. And we can talk about hitting shots until the sun goes down and the Lakers are going to have to hit some shots. They're also going to need to still be able to threaten the front of the rim in more of a variety of ways than just one or two wing perimeter guys, right? Especially if we're operating under the assumption that Anthony Davis is not going to play. And there's only one other player on the team besides LeBron, Dennis, and AD who threatened the paint consistently who you trust to score. We do not trust Drummond to score. He is fine at that, but Drummond is still doing these like, hey, I'm I'm ducking in. I like I'm wide. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I'm, like I've got position and mm-hmm. he's getting ignored, bro. Like like no mm-hmm. other, right? He's like the kid who raises his hand every single time to answer the question in class. Like after a while, the teacher's just like, I'm going somewhere else. Like <laughs> like sorry, sure. Johnny. Like we're not calling on you. And so, but Trez is a guy who I think if you're going to, you're, you're never going to replace what AD gives you, but in terms of a mindset and an approach, particularly offensively um, against bench unit bigs. And so Mike in those lineups where Kaminsky is in the game, potentially, why not still try to play a little bit bigger and give Dennis a more natural pick and roll partner with Mark I know that the defense is going to be questionable. And, and, and so argue me off of that point. Should Trez be playing if AD is not going to be available? Or would you go in a total different direction now? The theory that we had before the series started was that Trez could punish those types of lineups when the big wasn't in there. The problem has been that aiden has been playing 41 minutes a night. And it just it does seem to neutralize whether it's screen roll or Whatever, whatever you want to do, post Harrell, like you guys had mentioned earlier, when he gets the ball and kind of faces up on the baseline. So I like, yes, there are pockets that I think you could use his skill set, but if it's five minutes a half, you know, is that going to make the ultimate difference? Maybe, maybe it could help. And and again, I'm not, I'm absolutely not opposed to it. But how do you then line up those minutes? Do you do we trust Schroeder at this point to actually run screen roll with Harrell when they just haven't done it that much? Uh, do LeBron LeBron definitely uh, that was the one segment of the game one where he got Harrell like three or four buckets in a row or at least three or four touches in a row and it worked really nicely so you could try you can have that built in I think as something to go to and maybe line it up with LeBron and and I think Pete the way you started the question was about LeBron and hey what do you do in the non-LeBron minutes and that's where Harrell came up and okay well you need some offense there and I'm I'm kind of more to the point of thinking Maybe there shouldn't be that many non-LeBron minutes in this. Oh yeah, specific no, game. this is a forty-plus like, point. This, yeah, like LeBron's probably going to have yeah. to play forty-two minutes. And if now some of those minutes are going to be, maybe he's on the court and it is Schroeder running those mm-hmm. actions, or mm-hmm. you give THT like whatever it is. But like LeBron's got to be out there at least orchestrating, and you know he's also got to be attentive on defense. Like it's 
that's that's the part where I keep kind of I've I've made a, a very clear staple, and this has not been like a hard thing. Like, oh, congrats, Mike, for bet for you know betting on LeBron James this year. But this is the ultimate game to me in Game Five, where where we have to sort of see it uh, for that full time. And and I I think that he can do it. It's just again, it's it's just a heavy lift given all of the other circumstances and the lack of continuity and now AD going out and we don't know who's going to start next to him. And we could keep listing all of the various topics that have come up. Uh, Harold's presence, the most recent. So, but I, I, I just find myself thinking back to, okay, if it's that small segment of the game, yes. uh, Running some screen roll action with Harold is great, but are you giving up the same amount on defense on the other end. And that's been the whole challenge, I think, and what they're thinking the whole time. Had we tried that Trez Mark lineup during the regular season more when we had the opportunity to, we would have more answers about whether or not we could do it in the six minutes or eight minutes that LeBron will not play in this game. Uh, so defensively, I don't feel great about that and not it's for different reasons. It's because the rotations at the four are different. I think Trez is a four defensively, but your defensive responsibilities are totally different. And asking a guy to do something defensively that he's barely done all season and make certain rotations in game five of the playoffs is a bad position to be in. And Trez played, Trez was good in the first game. He gave up a couple of buckets on the defensive end, but he scored more than he gave up on the other end. It was more that we needed an offensive organizer alongside AD and that Mark was the natural fit in the non-LeBron minutes. And that's the adjustment that Vogel went to. But it, it wasn't an indictment on Trez, but in the absence of really any regular season touches or or reps, like I would say no. And you know how I feel about Trez. You know yeah. how I, I think of Trez. The reason why I brought Trez up too is because I I don't want to say I was impressed with his short little because he got a stint. Um, he got a stint in Game Four, and I thought he was fine. Right now, mm-hmm. he played next to LeBron, and so and we're talking about the non-LeBron minutes here, and, and so LeBron can help prop any lineup up. I'm just interested. The Lakers need some energy. They need to play with force. I think that's going to start with LeBron. I brought that up as an idea that you need to get from Drummond. The Lakers' advantages, even without AD, are still going to lie in physicality. Um, And I think they're going to need to find that in some places. And if that's with their wings and it's with LeBron and it's with Drummond, that will probably be enough, right, to at least keep the game competitive and where they can strike. But I'll be very interested to see what Vogel does because I thought Keith, for example, was not very good in his minutes in in game four. And someone, Anthony Davis plays 35, 40 minutes a night. Someone's going to have to play those minutes. And I'm just wondering, they all can't go to a third guard, basically. For sure. Right? For sure. And, and, And so who picks up the slack there? And... Is it going to be Mark? Is it going to be Drummond? You've got another guy over there who you just paid the mid-level exception to come in and whose offensive skill set is, I'm trying to get to the paint. So For that's sure. something the Lakers could could use, but there are drawbacks to that. So it was just something that I brought up because I'll be interested to see what Vogel decides. I'm certainly not you know, totally opposed to it. I just think that in the absence of reps during the regular season, that's a difficult ask in game five of a series. So I don't necessarily think we're the favorites to win this game without 
Anthony Davis, but I do think it's a winnable game. We made a lot of correctable, fixable mistakes uh, defensively in particular, where we could tighten that up and we've got options. So everybody keep your head up. The biggest game of the season coming up on Tuesday. We'll be here to break it down once it's over. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.